chapter 24 and Luke chapter 17. So if somebody's want to go to Matthew 24 and somebody's want to go to Luke 17. I'll begin at Matthew 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. By the way, I saw in the news last week an interesting thing that it said that in April this year, there was more earthquakes recorded than there has ever been since they started to record. Hmm? You think that's by accident? There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. They shall deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then many shall be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Then skip on down to verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. What's therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you be also ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And then just a couple of verses here in uh, Luke 17. Verse 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said, kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, 
so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted and they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, will be, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Let's just stop there. Say that confession is good for the soul. So it's time to me to fess up to something. Not that drastic or that big. Doesn't involve any woman. Uh, but a year and a half ago, I got a letter through the post to say I was caught speeding and I was going to be fined and lose three points or else pay the fine and take a driver awareness course. I was doing 35 and a 30 mile limit. So I decided I'd have to pay the fine anyway, so I might as well do the driver's awareness course. Those of you who have been at it, and you, could I have a show? Huh? No, no. <laughs> ah, you're sitting looking smugly at me, aren't you? Mm, that would tell a tale, wouldn't it? And so uh, uh, I went there, and uh, I was uh, two surprises. One was how many others were there. The place was packed. And I figured, well, that's only one night, and this goes on every night, and there's only one place, and there's other places out anyway. A lot of people was caught. The other surprise was when they started to go through the four, and it is four hours to the minute. Uh, how many signs, traffic signs, that I had long since forgotten what they were, hadn't got a clue what they were, because you know it's, it's many, many years since I'd done my driving test. You can imagine that. And there was a, yes, there was a highway code in those days. Yes, there was, but it's somewhat changed. The signs has all changed. And to be truthful, even like today, once you pass your test, the highway code goes into the drawer, and that's it. You're just breathe a sigh of relief. You get on with your driving, and then months goes into years. Years goes into decades, and you stop looking at the signs. And even if you did look at them, you wouldn't have a clue what they were because they've changed, unless you go to the highway code. And so. Throughout the Old Testament, there were many signs given by God about the first coming of Christ. The prophets spoke hundreds of years before the event, and they gave the signs that the Messiah was coming, even to the very place where He would be born, even how He would be born. The signs were clear. They were there for all to see. The trouble is that Israel wasn't looking at the signs just like I wasn't looking at the signs. Wasn't paying attention to the signs. Having eyes, they saw not. Having ears, they heard not. Now, Jesus here, his disciples pulled him aside privately. And they said, what are the signs of your coming? What is the sign of the end of the age? And so Jesus gives them and us the prevailing conditions the signs that would be just before he comes back again. Christ's imminent return is written large in the Bible. It is unmistakable. Even the very casual reader of the Bible would be struck by the recurring theme 
of the second coming of Christ. And I've said this a little bit to you before, but it's worth repeating. One in every 25 verses of the New Testament refers to the second coming of Christ. That's a very large percentage, isn't it? It is mentioned some 300 times. Paul refers to it 50 times just himself. There are eight times more verses in the New Testament about Christ's second coming than there is about His first coming. Jesus often referred to it. In fact, over 50 times we are instructed to be ready and be prepared for His coming again. The Bible says, the New Testament says more about Christ's return than it does about creation, the fall of man, Jesus' death on the cross, His resurrection, all of that put together. There's more about the second coming of Christ. And so Jesus spelled out for us the conditions that would be prevailing upon the earth just prior to His coming. And that's what I want to share with you just for a little moment or two tonight. He said it would be like a mirror image of the days of Noah. And it would be like the days of, of Lot before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the warnings of Christ are fulfilled and being fulfilled in our generation at an alarming rate and with great, great clarity. Every time you read the newspaper, you switch on the news, there are telltale signs that we're living in the last days. Now, sadly, many, many churches have given up preaching and talking about the second coming of Christ. So it's too divisive, it's too controversial, and some even says it's not even relevant. You're saved, you're a believer, so it really doesn't matter when he comes or how he comes and all the rest of it, just get on with it. And so they just sideline the whole issue. Well, Jesus hadn't that approach. Paul hadn't that approach. Certainly Peter didn't have it either. So what will the conditions be like? What were they like in the days of Noah, in the days of Lot? What are they like today? Let's compare and see the comparison. First of all, the earth was corrupt and it was filled with violence. In Genesis chapter 6, if I can just read a couple of verses here. Verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. See how many times it mentions the earth was filled with violence, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. There can be no doubt that we're living in one of the most, if not the most, violent generation that there's ever been since the days of Noah. Leaving out the horrors of war, and there's been plenty of those, 
There is a daily diet of violence that stems from Hollywood and TVs and videos. We see, sadly, we even see children killing children. Did you ever think you'd live to see that day? Street violence, violence in the home, human trafficking, abortion, and on and on it goes. I read an article this week that was absolutely shocking, but I think it's indicative of the generation that we live in. And it's about a, a young woman in New Jersey called Emily Letts. And she made a video of herself having an abortion, which you can imagine would be bad enough to do. But listen to this. A young lady in New Jersey has made a video of herself having an abortion. Afterwards, she actually said, I don't feel like a bad person. I don't feel sad. I feel in awe of the fact that I can make a baby. Now, notice she didn't say a fetus. So she knows what she's doing. I can make a life. I knew that what I was going to do was right because it was right for me and no one else. In other words, I can do what I want it's my right, and nobody's right to tell me what my rights are. So what did she do? She killed the baby. The video doesn't actually show the abortion, but it shows you her going through it. The video is being described as a positive abortion story. So the writer says, Now how can there be any such thing? This young woman who is an abortion clinic counselor believes that there's a positive outcome of abortion, and to prove it, she recorded herself undergoing this. Emily Letts, who works for the Cherry Hill Women's Center in New Jersey, the actual clinic that performed this, now listen to this, entered her three-minute video in a contest organized by the Abortion Care Network. Her film, along with one other, was selected as a winner by the organization. According to the network, winning entries received cash prizes. I mean, you, you stagger at the awfulness and the cruelty and the wickedness and the violence of that. And yet, no sign of remorse, no sign of sorrow, no sign of regret. Not every woman who's had an abortion is like this, by the way. Many has lived with much regret and has repented and God has forgiven, but there doesn't seem to be any sign of this in that life. Over, you don't need to turn to this, but over in Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away, and so forth. Perilous times, Paul said, will come in the last days. In fact, the last days, when he puts last days, the word he uses there means the last of the last days. And we believe that's where we are. The word perilous there means fierce, dangerous, unpredictable, harmful, harsh. It's the exact same word that Matthew uses when he describes those two demon-possessed in the 
area of Gadara, where it says about them, they were exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass by that way. It was too dangerous. It was too unpredictable. It was too harmful. And Paul said that in the last days, that's what it would be like. He said there would be, it would be brutal. Society in general is becoming much more brutal. Now, of course, makers of movies and programs and videos in Hollywood say that they're simply reflecting what's in society. Now, the reason why they say that is because they feel that absolves them from any responsibility. Well, we just are showing you how it is. But is that true? Remember just, was it two years ago? Maybe less than that. Now, remember the Batman movie? And it came out in Colorado. It was the premiere. And James Holmes, a young man, very bright, straight-A student, he bursts into that movie theater and he shoots dead 12 people, including children. He injures 58 and he called himself the Joker after the body that's in the movie. A week later, just a week later, a stand-up comic in Los Angeles was making jokes about this and people stood up and clapped and applauded. And then somebody set up a Facebook in his honor. I mean, that's how brutalized our society has become. How uncaring. And then just again, maybe was it a year ago? Kieran Stapleton from Manchester. He was given 30 years for the brutal murder of a young, bright, 23-year-old Indian student. Come over here to study at university. Didn't do anybody any harm. Kept out of harm's way. He was walking along the street And this guy went right up to him and he shot him in the head at point-blank range. And he stood over his body and laughed. Then he he rung up all his mates. They booked into a hotel across the street to watch the police and the forensic people doing what they do while they were watching that. Whenever he was sentenced, he stood and he smirked and he laughed. And then he got an eyedrop tattoo, a teardrop tattoo under his eye so that if he would go into prison, the prisoners would know that he's a killer. And that was his pride and joy to do that. How brutal is that? Again, just a little while back, maybe again a year ago, in South Africa, three men burst into the home of their former employee and they murdered this man. They brutally raped his wife and then they murdered her. Then they took their 12-year-old child, they tied him hand and foot, and they drowned him in a bath of scalding water. And whenever they stood in court, they stood and they smirked, and they smiled and felt proud of what they had done to another human being. So when the Bible tells us that the last days will be filled with violence, I'm sure you could agree tonight that that is exactly what we're seeing. And our streets in our cities, and in our towns. And every day you pick up the paper, you see more of it. And that's even leaving out the wars and the battles that goes on the battlefield. Another thing that would become prevalent, homosexuality, will become blatant. Now for many years, it was underneath the radar. But it's out of the closet and it is blatant. It's in your face. Never would have believed that within, say, 20 years that governments would be falling over themselves 
to redefine the very meaning of marriage after thousands and thousands of years. Now they want to redefine it for less than 1% of the population. But that shows you the power. In Luke 17, we read it a moment ago, but let me just read again. Verse 28 says, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the days when the Son of Man is revealed. If you were to read Genesis 18 and 19, which will not because of time, You'll see that horrendous story where Abraham outside the city and Lot was in the city, sitting at the city gate. And it says every day he vaxed his righteous soul just by living there and raising his family there. But hey, business was good. Sitting at the gate means that you're one of the leaders. So business was good. And because of that, he stayed there. God sent two angels to come and to check it out, as it were. And they came to Abraham first. Remember how Abraham pleaded with them and bargained with them not to destroy the city if there was 50 righteous all the way down, if there's 10 righteous, but there wasn't 10. And so they went into the city to check it out. And they went to Lot's house, and Lot invited them in, and they said, no. We're going to sleep out in the city square. Now, he knew that was going to be trouble for them because these angels was handsome. They were fine. They were fair. So he knew that was going to be trouble. So he says, no, come in. Stay with me. And as they were in the door, within minutes, the door was being nearly battered down by this community. It says, both young and old alike. Now isn't that interesting? Young and old alike came and they demanded that they have their way with those two men that they didn't recognize were angels. And Lot go into all the things that Lot did to try to dissuade them. The angels actually struck them blind at one point because they were going to batter the door down. And even after he struck them blind, they were still banging on the door to get in. But what struck me as I was reading that uh, this week was that both young and old, the young got involved. And what we see today is an agenda to enter just the gay agenda into schools. The younger, the better is the feeling that they'll understand more. They'll be conditioned better if you get them young. By the way, the evolutionists, <laughs> they, they, they won that argument years ago in most of the schools. And now atheism's trying to win that argument in the schools too. Let's teach atheism in the schools when they're young. Let them bring them up in this so they'll be conditioned by it. Arnold Toynbee, the great historian, he said that 21 of the world's great civilizations have fallen. 19 of them by moral decay and corruption and two by conquest. In other words, the destroyed themselves from the inside out because of moral decay and corruption. 
Third thing we notice in those days was that there was no sense of God's impending judgment. That's why it tells you that in those days, they bought, they sold, they built, they married, they were given in marriage. Life was going on as usual. Nothing was changing. God had been warning. Noah was warning. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He warned and he warned and he warned and he warned. Nothing changed. They did not listen. Nothing was going to happen, they thought. But it did happen. Judgment did come. Now we're living in the era of grace. Thank God for that. But there will come a day when judgment will come to this world. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of a reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's happened. Nothing will happen. For this they were willfully, for this they willfully forgot, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is holding back His judgment to give every man a chance to change and to come to Him. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and both the earth and the works that are in it shall be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be dissolved, and being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Isn't it interesting that in Daniel chapter 12 and 4, that Daniel said that in the last days, and I've told you this before, that in the last days, that travel and knowledge would increase, and it would increase exponentially. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. I just double-checked today, by the way, 
uh, an aviation site on the internet, and they reckon that in 2014, that three billion plus people will have traveled by air this year. Over three billion people will travel just by air this year. Now, when Daniel wrote that, <laughs> the thought of anybody traveling by air was just, I mean, that just, he wouldn't even have thought that. That just wouldn't even have entered his mind to think that. And that's just by air. We're a commuter society, aren't we? We think nothing of getting on a plane or on a train or a bus or a cars. We just crisscross the world at whim, don't we? And it says that knowledge would increase. 90% of all the scientists that has ever lived are living right now. And could we argue that knowledge hasn't increased? <laughs> it's scary, isn't it? Johnny, when was iPods invented? Was it less than 10 years ago, was it? iPods? iPods. Something like that, isn't it? And I mean, it's just, it's all hot now, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> Some of these young ones laugh at us. They can't remember what it was like not to have a mobile phone. You know? You can't remember. You remember the old phones you used to go into the side of the road, press button A, press button B? Remember those things? They were stinking, weren't they? You know? There's fag ash over the old thing, and there knows what happened to the things, and it was just rotten. And you had to push the buttons and all the rest of it, and call an operator and all the rest. I mean, it's just so, the whole world's changed, hasn't it? I mean, John was telling me tonight that all this stuff here, all this electronic, you can run that from an iPad. All your sound system, all of it, even what's in the church, all of that can be run from an iPad, sitting in your lap. I mean, he could sit over there and run this thing. Maybe I'm going a wee bit farther, John. I'm not technically minded, but I'm just going by what you told me. I mean, knowledge has increased. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, what's it, if the Lord tires, what's it going to be like in 10 years more time or 20 years time? But these are going to be the signs that we're living in the last days. You say, but knowledge has always increased. Yes, it has. But exponentially it's increasing today at an alarming rate. So what's the coming of Christ meant to produce in us? What's it meant to produce in us? Why did the writers write about it? Because they wanted it to produce something in us. It's got to be something practical. It's got to be something in our lives that is working in our lives. First of all, watchfulness and readiness. Second Peter again, chapter 3. Watchfulness and readiness. Just where we left off there, we read before. Therefore, since, verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And so watchfulness and readiness, knowing the signs and reading the signs. When I went to that course, it wasn't education. 
Those of you who just passed your tests, you'll know all of the signs. You drive down the road, you know exactly what they are. But those of us who did it a long time ago, you forget and you stop looking. So it's a real education. It's an education to know what speed you can go at without getting booked. And a, to what limit you can go to without going one mile over. <laughs> and so, whenever we're driving along, Sally and I, uh, we have a look at the signs. And she says, well, you can go 50 here. Or you can go only 30 here. Or you can go beyond that. You can go up to 70 here. She's my, my guide. She's my, makes the pace notes for me. She reckons, she doesn't know how I get, how I get fine, but she's, she reckons I drive too slow. Now, if you think I drive slow, you'll chain down there. He is the slowest of the slowest of the slowest of drivers. <laughs> I think he was an undertaker in a previous life. <laughs> I think he used to drive a hearse before. So now we look out for the signs and we try to be a wee bit more savvy than we had been. Not just so reckless and just keep a wee eye on the signs. Well, we are to look for the signs of his coming. And that's why when I watch the news or read a newspaper, that's why I see the signs. I can see it. They're plain. They're clear. You can discern it. What is it that teaches? Patience and perseverance. Let me read these. You don't need to turn to these. First Thessalonians 1 and 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now Paul writes that in First Thessalonians. Paul has written probably 13, maybe even 14, of the 21 epistles in the New Testament. And if you're reading the church epistles, because there's prison epistles, and, but if you're reading the church epistles, First and Second Thessalonians come last in order. But actually, he wrote them first. So chronologically, he's writing about last things first. Because First Thessalonians talks about Christ coming again. Second Thessalonians talks about the Antichrist coming. So in actual fact, he wrote about last things first, even though they don't appear that in order in our scriptures. So it was a big, big issue with Paul. To wait from his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then James chapter 5, 7 and 8. Therefore be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It takes us to be patient. Because Peter says there'll be scoffers who'll just laugh at you. You say that's ridiculous. It's nonsense. Sure, they've always talked about that. Our forefathers talked about it. It's never happened. Or it'll be another thousand or two thousand years. But Paul says it is at hand. So just be patient. Believe God's promises. Third thing, it teaches us blamelessness 
and holiness. Again, 1 Thessalonians 3. So he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So what this is to do to us as we read the scriptures, as we see the signs, it's to cause us to live righteously and to live better than we've been living and to live for Christ more than we've ever lived because he's coming and he's coming soon. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely that may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally the last thing. This is to produce in us not just watchfulness and readiness or patience and perseverance or blamelessness and holiness, but actually comfort and joy. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 For what is our hope, our crown, our joy, our rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Apostle Paul said, listen, You know what's going to give me great joy? You being in the presence of Christ at His coming. He says, that's going to fill me with joy. That's going to be something of great comfort and joy to me. You know, that's why we want to see our loved ones saved, isn't it? That's why we want people to get saved. Because what a joy for us to have our loved ones born again of God's Spirit and to know they're in the presence of God. We'll finish with this. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, that is, Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Clifford, we were talking about this a moment ago, with the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Clifford and John and I were having a discussion about old people's homes. For you. It's amazing the things people talk about, isn't it, before a meeting starts. And Clifford... Uh, he says, well, I'm not look, looking for that, he says. I, I'm looking for the Lord to come back before that. <laughs> I think we all are. When you've been in some of those places, you definitely are right enough. And uh, so we're going to look for the upper-taker rather than the undertaker, aren't we? But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when you say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. 
Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, of the, as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we sleep or wake, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. See, we're talking about some serious stuff tonight. We're talking about the warnings of Christ's return. And how prepared we've got to be for that return. But Paul ends up saying this is a thing of joy and of comfort to the believer. To know that he is coming back. And as the days get darker, to know that the light is coming. And to know that we are not going to be going through the wrath. Not for us. We're going to be, ever be with the Lord. Amen. So, are we living in the last days? Absolutely, without a question. Are we preparing in these last days? I forget who the old preacher was in America. But every night before he went to bed, he shut his blinds. And he says, maybe tonight, Lord. And every morning he opened his blinds. He says, maybe today, Lord. That's a good attitude, isn't it? It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. We don't know. Jesus said only the Father knows. But what we do know is we need to be ready for his coming. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word cannot be changed. It's infallible. It is inerrant. We thank you, Lord, these promises and these prophecies are true. We've already seen so many come to pass. And we have no doubt whatsoever that those in the future will come to pass also because this is your word and it cannot be broken. So, Lord, help us prepare our hearts and our lives and help us to live in the light of your soon return. And help us to reach out to those who do not know you. And show them and tell them that that day will soon be upon us. So we thank you for the confirmation of your word. We thank you, Lord, it is confirmed again and again and again to be true. And we bless you for it. And so we can count on it tonight. What you have written is written. So we thank you for this. Lord, as we go out into a working week, we pray for your blessing to be upon us. Pray for your anointing to be upon us. We pray for those divine appointments to be upon us. And where we can, we get the opportunity. Let us share Christ, the living Lord, with those who come in contact with us. So we give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen.